Hello friends, it's good to see you guys again, uh, second week in a row. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Edward and I will be um, yeah, leading us through the passage that we have this morning. We are beginning a new series called By the Book uh, as we look at uh, the nature of the Bible, the formation of the Bible, the defense of the Bible and the preaching of the Bible. It's all about the Bible because we are supposed to be all about the Bible. And I hope this series for us would be uh, not only reaffirming, but refreshing our love and trust in God's word together. Um, So with that said, why don't I pray for our time? Heavenly Father, we know that you esteem the one who humbles himself before you and trembles at your word. As we consider uh, the scriptures, please help us to hear your voice in them that we would see the wisdom and life that are there in them and in Christ. Please help us to to know the word you have spoken for our good and for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in the year 1098, so a little while back, um, there was the siege of Antioch. So let me just explain real simply. Uh, the Crusaders had captured the city and they were now being besieged by uh, the Muslims. And it wasn't going well. Things were looking a little bit dire. Uh, but a, an, a relatively unknown monk named uh, Peter Bartholomew, um, he had good news uh, to report to the leaders. He had a vision, a dream, that uh, buried under the church uh, of St. Peter in Antioch, there was the, the spear of destiny. Uh, I didn't know... I never heard of the term the spear of destiny, but that is uh, the, apparently the, the spear that poked Christ's side, also known as the holy lance. And he's saying it's here under this church. Let's go find it. And so it seems like a, a bit of a, a goose chase, but they did. They went and dug under the cathedral and they discovered a spearhead. And so he declared that they had found it uh, and everyone celebrated and the crusaders were inspired and eventually won the battle. Um, now the leaders... Uh, the whole time, were reasonably suspicious that they had found anything uh, of the kind, um, that they had, in fact, found uh, the, the, the holy lance. And perhaps another issue uh, with the idea of finding the spear uh, is that apparently there were many spears that had been found all over uh, Europe. In fact, uh, it might be said that with all the spears that, that had apparently poked Christ's side, you could field the whole army. Um, and that is... Of course, the problem with relics, how do you know you've got the real thing, the unique and genuine article? And some today may feel that about the scriptures. There have always been those who have contended against the word of God, but I think perhaps the culture in which we live, there is more and more confusion uh, and perhaps a lack of confidence in the scriptures, even within the church itself. Uh, More hostile commentators will claim, well, the Bible, it's just... I don't know, a work of fiction or a work of history or merely one religious text just like all the others. Nothing special. And so, over the next four weeks, uh, we're doing a series, as I've said, called By the Book. Um, You know, considering the Bible is fundamental to all that we do and all that we believe here at church, we, oh, I think it's critical to know what it is and, and why we use it. What makes the Bible the word of God? And it should be said that the way you understand the Bible, of course, will determine what you do with it, the way you interpret it, the authority that you give it. 
So, for instance, the Roman Catholic Church, who maintain that the, they are, the scriptures are the sacred scriptures, um, but it is insufficient. It actually requires the church to give it its right meaning and interpretation. Or for Christians who take a, um, perhaps a more liberal view of the Bible, they might say, well, it's a cultural product. Um, and so maybe it's true in some parts about God, more true about some parts about God than in other bits. And it's always interesting to see the parts which they think are more true than the other bits. Uh, often it seems to align with perhaps the views that they would like to advocate. Um, but that, that comment aside, uh, what we believe about the Bible will dictate uh, how, we, how we use it. So if we, uh, as a church who is, um, you know, in, in theory committed to evangelical principles, that this is the inspired and perfect word of God, this is our supreme authority, that will, well, by necessity, that should direct us in the, the course that we should go with it, shouldn't it? But which way do we go? Uh, there might be other questions we have about the Bible. How was it put together? How does it have a, a human authorship and a divine authorship at the same time? Or on the other hand, can we trust that it really is true, that it really is reliable? Uh, now that I've raised those questions, I'm going to say I'm not really going to answer them uh, because over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the defense of the Bible and then the formation of, of the Bible. But the question I'm answering today is the, the nature of the Bible. What does the Bible claim about itself? What do we mean when we say this is God's word? Because that makes it a book like no other, of course. And I've got to say, we're going to make the most of this series, both as individuals and as a church, uh, not if we're just kind of nodding our head along, saying, yep, we believe the Bible is the word of God, tick. Uh, but we, it's, I think it's good to put ourselves to the test. Uh, one way that you can test if a fabric is made of cotton is to burn it. Um, apparently, if it's a kind of a synthetic uh, material, it won't, well, cotton won't uh, just melt or curl away. It'll burn in a particular way and it'll have a particular smell. So when we put the scriptures up to, to test us, what do they reveal? What do they reveal about our practices, our attitudes toward it? Do we really believe that this is God's word written. And so you've got your outline here, which basically falls into two halves. The first half is looking at the authority. At, well, what is the Bible as God's spoken word? And then as the words we need to hear. But we first we see that God has spoken in the scriptures. The Bible is God's effective communication of himself. Uh, his effective and unique communication. I should have put that in there. When we had that passage read out for us in 2 Timothy, I think the phrase that always sticks out, or the words I should say, is God breathed. And that's the idea we're going to turn to first. What does it mean that God has breathed this out? Well, it's to do with inspiration, that it comes from God himself as if he has exhaled it. Now, we can say that many other works are inspiring. If we want to exaggerate, we can even say they're divine. Um, I mean, not. You might really love Shakespeare, you might not. You might really love the Lord of the Rings, I certainly do. And yet, the Bible is like no other text in that it says it is uniquely inspired and divine. Now, we think about God and we think about the way he reveals himself, and it's a good thing that he does. He could reveal himself in a whole lot of ways. And if you look through the Bible, he does, doesn't he? He performs miracles, uh, he 
how it gives people visions and dreams. And even when we look at creation itself, when we look at the whole material order, that actually is God's revelation to us. That is God speaking to us, declaring to us his glory, right? And his power. But the primary way and the most important way God chooses to reveal and act um, is through his words. If you notice, the God of the Bible is a God who speaks. Uh, What is the first thing that God does in in the Bible? He speaks, let there be light. The first thing he does towards humanity, he speaks to them. He blesses them and then gives them a command. The primary way that God acts in in the the plan of salvation is by speaking. It's by giving commands and blessings and warnings and and promises. God's words are powerful. Uh, Unlike the gods of the nations, when Israel come into the desert, they're not told to make images of God. In fact, they're forbidden from doing so. No, to worship the living God is to hear, to believe, and obey his words. And that's important because what we see in the Bible is that there is, no, there is no separation between who God is and what he expresses about himself. Let me clarify what I mean. When you've been watching, probably been watching TV at some point and the news has come on and you see a politician uh, who's getting grilled about something and you, maybe you wonder, do they really believe what they are saying? Are they spinning me a line? Often there is a gap between Uh, I guess, what we say and who we are, perhaps because we lie or because we're hypocrites, or even sometimes that our words can't actually achieve what we want them to. But there is no gap between what God says and who he is. His words have authority. They bear his truth, his goodness, his holiness. And so that means our response to God's words are a response to God himself. Peter Jensen former archbishop, puts it this way, very helpful. When you trust the word of God, you are trusting God himself. When you keep the word of God, you're obeying God himself. You do not need to search behind or beyond for the real God. Um, God reveals who he really is in his word. And he inspires it, right? We're going to look at that uh, probably next week when we look at the formation of scripture. But he works through human authors by his spirit. But yet nonetheless, it is his word. Hebrews 4 uh, verse 12 says this about the word of God. When we write words, they just tend to, I don't know, kind of sit there, but God's word is not like that. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's speech doesn't just inform us, but it actually acts. It's alive. It's powerful. It's an instrument that both tells us of salvation and actually brings people to salvation. And so I can read Huckleberry Finn, you know, a great book, but that's not really going to transform my heart. Not like the word of God that can lead me to Christ. But when I read that bit in Hebrews out, you might notice there's actually a double edge to the fact that the God's word is alive and living. Uh, did you notice it spoke of judging the heart? See, when I read Huckleberry Finn, Huckleberry Finn doesn't read me back. But God's word does, because God sees our response to what he has said. And so to reject his word, to ignore his word, to distort his word, uh, is, the same, is, doing, is, is, this, is doing the same to God, I should say. And we see that in the first sin, don't we? Why do Adam and Eve sin? What is the thing that causes them to sin? Well, they doubt God's promise. They doubt its goodness. They doubt its truth. Um, 
and indeed all sin, in essence, requires a failure to heed the word of God. And so God is a God who speaks, whose perfect communication uh, gives us, his, tells us of who he is, it tells us of his will, and it's effective in doing what he intends for it. And the good news of Scripture is that God is a promise-making God. And since I've just said that he keeps his promises and his word is effective, well, we can trust when he makes those promises. And those promises all come to a head in the Lord Jesus, who is at the center of Scripture. It's not a throwaway line where Paul says, verse 15, of that to Timothy, that the Scriptures make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. That's the heart of Scripture, uh, Jesus himself. Because Jesus himself is known as the Word in John 1. And what John means by that is he is the, the full and final Word of God's revelation because he is, in some sense, well, not in some sense, he is God himself. So he is God's perfect Word to us, God's perfect revelation to us. See, the Bible speaks of many issues of life and of existence and, and, and our relationship to God. But at the heart of the book is Jesus, is the gospel. And that's really important that we see him at the heart. Otherwise, we will get the Bible wrong. As Jesus himself says in, in John 5, 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Sometimes the words of Jesus are put against other bits of the Bible. Uh, that's sometimes the Old Testament. Um, and that's sometimes, uh, you know, people will say, well, the Old Testament is much harsher. It has law, but Jesus gives grace. Uh, and on the other hand, sometimes people put Jesus against Paul and the other apostles as if his words um, are, I guess, more the word of God than others. And in some sense, in some sense, that's true because he is the word of God. But, but that's not how Jesus reads the scriptures. He sees it as all as the word of God, the Old Testament, which he endorses and the New Testament. I'd, I'd never thought about this until recently, which Jesus effectively commissions, right? Um, Jesus is responsible for the New Testament. I know I mean, it seems pretty simple, but he, he sends out his disciples and he gives them his Holy Spirit and says, you know, go and teach, go and uh, teach the nations of what I've done. So he endorses the Old Testament. He commissions the New Testament and he is at the center. And so to take the Bible seriously is to take Jesus seriously and to take all of Scripture seriously. The whole counsel of God. The Old Testament is not just background information. It is God's word to us. Uh, that's important to remember because if we, you know, ignore and neglect the Old Testament, um, we're going to miss bits of uh, God's counsel in many areas of life. And indeed, we're going to distort the fulfillment of the promises that Jesus himself completes. Yes, there is um, fulfillment. Yes, certain parts are more central. But all of Scripture is God's word. And therefore, if the Bible really is the effective communication of the living God, we cannot overstate its importance and its authority. We need to listen. So these are the words we need to hear. The Bible uh, is God's word to us for salvation and for for life. This is kind of the second half of what we need to know. Uh, no words could be more important than this. Uh, I think a lot of people, well, lots of people like to think their words are, are worth hearing. Uh, hence the popularity of social media, which you know does many good things. But one of the things it does is it gives everyone a soapbox 
Uh, and so if you go on social media, whatever your platform or website of choice is, you will receive no shortage of life advice or fashion tips or uh, philosophical musings. Uh, how much of it is worth anything? Or maybe some of it. Other bits, maybe, maybe not. But here in Scripture, these are the words that we, we need to hear and, and listen to, um, both as individuals and as a church. If God has breathed out these words, they need to be breathed in by us. They are words of life and they are necessary, they are sufficient, and they are authoritative. And that's where I'm going now. Necessary, sufficient, authoritative. Paul speaks of the necessity of Scripture, doesn't he? He tells Timothy to continue in what he has been convinced of and what he has learnt uh, from infancy. You've known the Holy Scriptures. So, you know, well, parents and grandparents and all who look after children, our kids need to know the Word of God. What a wonderful thing that they are doing uh, back there right now, learning about Him. But the critical point is that the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in, in Jesus Christ. And indeed, without the Word of God, we cannot be saved. There is no way. Creation itself can reveal God's power and glory, but it cannot lead you to Christ. Our consciences can tell us that there is a right and wrong. We can have some sense that we should be doing the right thing rather than the wrong thing. But it cannot show us what true godliness is. In fact, I guess the diversity of human culture itself throughout time and throughout uh, history uh, leads many to conclude, well, you know, perhaps ethics are all just relative. I mean, there are cultures in which cheating and lying, it's perfectly acceptable and even laudable. You know, if you can do it and get away with it, yes, good on you. There are certain cultures in which there are hierarchies of people and their castes where some people are objectively more important or considered more important than, than others. There have been many different conclusions about what God and what the gods, which is speaking broadly here about religions, would want from humanity. And so I guess when I hear um, someone comment, well, you know, I'm sure that God would actually want X, right? I always wonder, well, what are you appealing to there to make that, to make that claim? Because I think we overestimate but on our own. We overestimate our powers uh, to think rightly in spiritual, in spiritual matters. Because who, you know, not just in life, but in salvation, who would have thought that salvation would come not from us, but from God himself sending his son to die on a cross? I never would have imagined anything like that. Uh, John Calvin said that the scriptures are like a pair of spectacles so that what is blurry might suddenly come into clear focus. I mean, I need these to preach. Otherwise, everything starts getting blurry as I'm going up and down. Um, but we need the scriptures to see rightly the world as God intended and what salvation and, and, well, and how salvation uh, comes and how we receive it. Uh, Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need the scriptures. But not only do we need the scriptures, the scriptures are enough. They are sufficient. The word of God is not only necessary, but it is enough. And we think, well, enough for what? For what purpose? Uh, and sometimes this is where we can get a little bit confused or things can go astray because the Bible is not going to tell you all that much about quantum physics or cell theory, uh, at least as far as I know. Uh, it's not going to give you any instructions on building a bridge. And in fact, it's not really going to tell you how to write a good Bible study in the practical sense. But it gives all that we need for life and for sal all we need for, for matters of faith and for salvation. 
But there are some who even will doubt that the Bible can do that. I mean, I guess the Roman Catholic teaching, again, is that Scripture is not actually sufficient because you need the authority of the, the magisterium, the Roman Catholic Church, to interpret it. Um, I guess when Muslims and the Mormons think about the Scriptures, yes, they think, oh, maybe it's, it's kind of some way the Word of God, uh, but now you need this extra text. And even within Protestant kind of circles, um, there are those with a kind of a charismatic edge who say, well, we are coming to an age of the Holy Spirit where God is going to show new revelation to his people and give new understanding of what God is doing. And some of this teaching can appear novel and maybe exciting and even have some measure of appeal because, you know, we, uh, I'm being a little bit facetious when I say this, you know, we're kind of stuck with this, this book that we've had for kind of 2,000 years and uh, is it really fit for purpose anymore? But uh, 2 Peter says that God's divine power has granted us all we need to pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And how do we have the knowledge of him? Through his word. Um, we have no reason to be dissatisfied by the scriptures. Uh, and it's important to therefore see uh, and understand that, that Christ is the final word. This is really important when we come to this idea of sufficiency, that it is sufficient because of Jesus. Hebrews 1 says that in the former days, God spoke in many ways and through many authors, but in this last days, he's spoken to us by his one and only son, which is to say that in Christ, God has given us all we need to know to be saved and to live for him. He's given us, I guess, the map and, and the compass. And you've got um, that quote there on your, your outline in that little nifty box, uh, which comes from the homily in scripture. Um, and I think it kind of contains the whole idea of sufficiency. It says, For in the Holy Scriptures is fully contained what we ought to do and what we ought to eschew, that is, to reject, what to believe, what to love, and what to look for at God's hand at length. Sometimes it can be argued that by focusing on the Bible, we're ignoring the Spirit's work. I want to say that is just absolutely false. Because to take the Bible seriously is to take the Holy Spirit's work seriously. The Spirit has inspired the words of scripture and the spirit attends to the words of scripture to save people, to grow people in godliness, to equip them for every good work. And it tells us that the word of God, therefore, as living and active is always relevant. It's written in a particular time and context, but it is relevant now as it was then. It's fit for purpose. Finally, that, that leads us to the question of authority. Uh, I guess in the, the age of many advances in science or, and even in, in developments in, in philosophical thinking, we think, well, should the Bible change? Should we change our view of Scripture in light of miracles or morality? What do we make of other authorities, um, such as our reason, our minds, or our experience, or our, our tradition, those things we've inherited from others? And let me say, first of all, other authorities can be very useful. Tradition can be a really good thing. I mean, we said the creed before. That is tradition. All theology books are tradition. They've been formed by scripture, but they have been things that have been passed down to us. And it's good to hear what Christians of the past have done, uh, because many of the teachings and practices are really good. Uh, we don't have to re reinvent the wheel of what it means to be the church every generation. 
Our reason can also be good. God's given us minds for a good reason. We can put together the ideas of the Bible. We use our reason to apply the scriptures to modern life. Our experience can be good. You know, we don't live in a bubble. Uh, We live in the real world. And we can consider through our experience the way the scriptures play out in our lives and learn from them. So how do we see principles of forgiveness operating or um, how we are principles of generosity? The problem always, uh, and it's kind of the the problem that all these things share, is when they, they sit over scripture or they're seen as equal to scripture. So when we say, well, we have, you know, tradition, we have the belief in scripture, but we also believe that uh, Mary was without sin and there's a place called purgatory. Well, that is not what the Bible speaks of. Or when it comes to, to reason, we think, well, I can't believe because, uh, you know, I can't believe in the resurrection because I know that miracles are impossible because they contradict the scientific laws. Or we think, because due to our experience, well, I've met folks who aren't Christians, who are very nice people, and I like them. So perhaps, therefore, uh, maybe salvation can be found outside of Christ. We come back to the idea of, of, um, it's really important, the idea of sola scriptura, the Bible alone. Uh, And the reformers who came up with this idea, the, the idea was not that we just have the Bible alone and that's no other authority in our life. No, the idea is that the Bible is the ultimate authority. It is the the trump card that sits above every other authority because we can make mistakes in our reasoning. The church can make mistakes in its reasoning, uh, but God's word is never mistaken. And so it must be the supreme guide for our Christian life. It is kind of the ruler against which everything else is, is measured. And so if we think about ourselves, and this is to come to, well, what, how, should we think about this on our, on our own kind of terms? What does the Bible reveal about our own attitude to um, God's word? Is it God's word to us? Or if we're kind of put to the test like the cotton, uh, are we more of a bit of a synthetic blend of, of various influences? Do we treat the Bible as necessary, sufficient, as authoritative? Are they words of life? Do we treat the Bible with the seriousness that it deserves? Do you see the Bible as necessary? You know, I... The, Actions reveal what we believe. Are we spending time in God's word regularly? Perhaps you find reading hard. I know some people do. Listen to it on audiobook. Sometimes the scriptures can be, you know, a little bit tough in certain paces. But, you know, good things are sometimes hard things are worth doing. Do we treat the the word as sufficient? Or do we try and supplement uh, the scriptures with other, uh, other things? I always wonder... How much time and attention we spend to other uh, sources of media, whether podcasts or books or TV, uh, to make our life better. What about that as opposed to the word? Do we see scripture as sufficient for all that we need as Christians? And finally, the question of authority. Do we sit under the word or do we sit over it in judgment? Do we judge its wisdom and seek to determine whether it's right or does it sit over us? Do we go to listen to teachers who would um, make the scriptures more palatable to us? Um, You know, finding almost ways to fit uh, what we want the scriptures to say. Uh, I don't know who said this, but it's always a good reminder about false teaching. uh, That false teaching is telling lies about God in front of him. Very sobering thought, um, but important to remember. I think often... 
the bits that cause us discomfort in the Bible, uh, or we find hard to do. Uh, when we hear those bits, it's our attitude to them that show whether we think the Bible is really authoritative. If I find it hard to forgive, and the Bible speaks so much of forgiveness, well, how am I going to respond? Am I just going to ignore it, push it to the side, just keep doing my own thing? Or am I going to repent and seek to take it seriously? And you can bring that with all sorts of issues, can't you? Whether generosity or sexuality or um, whatever you want to say. But to conclude, this is the word of the Lord. That is what God's word claims to be. And I wonder, do you hold it as that? Do you believe it as that? Do you treat it as that? God has spoken with authority words of truth and life. He wants us to know them and hear them and love them and use them. I mean, if this is the, kind of the first basic principle, if you get this wrong, then everything else kind of goes pear-shaped. If you give up the Bible, um, then the church is not going to hold to sound doctrine. Your faith is not going to, to flourish, but it will fail. If we want to worship God faithfully, if we want to live as faithful disciples of Jesus, we need to base our lives and our hope on these words. And I've got a quote here, uh, again from the, the homily. Uh, and I, I love this quote. It's a, what, a, what a great quote. Um, it says, These books, therefore, the Bible it's talking about, ought to be much in our hands, in our eyes, in our ears, in our mouths, but most of all in our hearts. For the scripture of God is the heavenly meat of our souls. I love the idea that scripture is the nourishing food, just as you know, food and water. They, we need them for physical life. We cannot go without the word of God. And so my prayer um, now is that this would be what our attitude is to the scriptures, that we would love it, that we would want to know them more and know, therefore, the Lord and his will more. So I'm going to pray now that God would help us to do so. Heavenly Father, we, we know that while all things fade, while the grass withers, while our flesh fails, while things rust and all things come to an end, your word stands forever. We thank you that it is as relevant now as it has ever been. Please help us to stand upon it, to hold fast to the word of life. Please help us to work through those times where we have doubts, or we harden our hearts to its goodness. We pray by your spirit we would see the immense privilege of knowing that you have spoken to us, that you have revealed yourself and you have revealed ultimately your son. Thank you that that is just an incredible, incredible privilege. And please, therefore, help us to be those who hear who trust, and those who obey. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.